Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman, joined as always by Jeff Olson. We're back in Lago Vista, Texas, where it's just as hot as it is in Cedar Park, our broadcast venue, to the church directly. Uh, You know, our goal here on the Pinocchio Project is to examine everyday ideas that promise flourishing through a biblical lens to see whether or not they're reliable to keep their promises. And there are bad ideas not just coming at us in culture, and there are bad ideas that not only come at us from culture, there are also bad ideas that generate and stay embedded inside the church as to what it means to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And so for the next three episodes, uh, I've titled these under the theme, You'll Keep Using That Word Again. Uh, I refer back to The Princess Bride, which is a timeless piece of cinema, in case you didn't know. The definition of timeless as to content is it's not affected by the passage of time or changes in any fashion in culture. And indeed, The Princess Bride meets that definition. As you know, the quote, you keep using that word, is used by Inigo to his boss at the time, Vizzini, as Vizzini keeps using the word inconceivable. Well, today... I'm going to start the first of three episodes under the theme, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And we're going to apply it first in this episode to a word inside the church. That's a very important word. Actually, it's one of the most important characteristics of our relationship with God uh, through his son, uh, empowered by the spirit. And that word is grace. Uh, We all say it, we all use it, we all count on it, we all trust it. Uh, What I want to raise is the possibility that we don't really understand it. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. Grace is not actually an it. And so as we have this conversation, we're going to speak to the direct possibility that we misuse or maybe even disgrace grace. And I want to start with the uh, understanding Uh, that is common to all of us, I think, at some level, maybe more some than others, of the proper use, uh, understanding, and employment of the word and the characteristic uh, and the appropriation of grace. Now, if you look at your Greek lexicon, you'll see in the New Testament the word grace has a single root, and it's the same root that we get the word charismatic from or charisma or even gift or a divine act that is appropriated or or granted to us without our merit. And all those are appropriate, uh, but it's the same root word. And what I'm afraid I've seen and actually been affected by myself and tempted towards is an inappropriate or disgraceful use of the word grace when it comes to my personal life and my relationship with Jesus Christ, who is calling me into a deeper, devoted journey to personal holiness. And so I have a lot that I could do here. I could probably do five or six episodes on this word, but I'm going to raise to the surface what I think is uh, the primary way we misuse or disgrace grace. 
And that is, uh, we keep using it when we need an excuse to indulge or forgive our sin. We have this sense that God gives us the $100 grace handshake when we sin, uh, and then he turns his back as if it's okay, I'll just apply another $100 worth of grace to your account, and we can just go on our our way until we decide we need another $100 payoff of grace forgiveness. And I would offer that as a dangerous idea. Uh, You see it if you look closely at your own life and the consequences over time, not only to you and degrading your soul uh, and, and interfering with your relationship with God, but it also affects the way you relate to the important people in your life. There's no excuse for continuing to sin. And what I want to do is I want to raise a really important text. Again, I could spend a long time on this, uh, on this term under this theme, but what I, what I want to reinforce is our tendency to employ, deploy, call on grace, the grace of God, to excuse and forgive our willful sin. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is developing an argument uh, that starts in, in the first chapter, obviously, uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ being a beautiful gift that when exercised and enjoyed from faith to faith, that means a growing devotion uh, to holiness and commitment, it gives us a justified life worth living. And then as we get to Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about the differentiation between the old man who is in Adam. So the entire human race is in Adam. That's an indication as we go all the way back to the creation account and then the effects of the fall that in Adam all sinned and therefore all died. And so Paul uses the the reality of what we would call the creation and fall narrative to speak of the biblical anthropology that we are all at birth in Adam meaning we are sinners by nature and then therefore destined uh, to die. To die not only a natural death, but a spiritual death where we're at birth separated from God and then uh, we are without hope. And as we move towards uh, the next proclamation in, in Paul's development in Romans 5, after he talks about the fact that we are all in Adam, he talks about the beauty of what it means now that the Son of God, the second Adam, has come. Uh, just as in Adam, Paul says, all sinned and then therefore all died, in Christ all now have life and the forgiveness of sin. And he talks about Jesus Christ as the grace of God. And as he, as he gets to the end of the chapter, he speaks to the law. Which when he's talking to the Romans, he's mostly talking to people who are not Jewish. So it's not just the Mosaic law. Paul uses the Mosaic law, but he references it in a larger way. And he wants to communicate that the law was brought in so that sin might increase. And what he means by that is the Mosaic law rooted in the Ten Commandments, the law's purpose is to be a mirror or a schoolmaster to show us the fact that we are desperately lost in Adam, and therefore we need some kind of remedy that we don't ourselves have the ability to appropriate. And so Paul says in Romans 5.20, the law was brought in so that sin might increase. And then this beautiful statement, but where sin abounded, and it's, it's beautiful in the original language because this word increased uh, or abounded is, is something that uh, it, it has a stranglehold. It's like all, all covering. It's comprehensive. Where, where sin increased or abounded, Paul says, 
Grace hyperabounded. It's that who pair road uh, word. You, you've seen hypermart. Uh, you've seen hyperspeed. Uh, you've seen ludicrous speed. But you've seen hyperspeed and, and hypermart. The, the the prefix hyper means it it not only encompasses everything, but it actually swallows it up and and accelerates beyond it. Where sin abounded, grace who pair abounded. Grace hyperabounded all the more so that. And this is important. Every time you see a so that in your New Testament, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he goes on. Paul is great at anticipating questions that come from his readers, these, these people in these churches who are reading his letters. Uh, he is so astute in, in understanding the human psyche and really a, a default towards loopholes and trying to get out of it. Uh, when, when Paul speaks of, of doctrinal truth and applicational truth, he knows because he's made of the same stuff most likely, uh, that our first response to being confronted with truth that, that challenges our morality and our desired lifestyle, our first response is usually to look for a loophole. So the very next statement in Romans 6, 1 is a question to his readers who have just read that uh, even though all are in Adam and all sin and sin abounds in Jesus Christ, grace hyperabounds so that grace actually swallows up and moves beyond the comprehensive nature of sin in righteousness. So the qualities of sin now become the expression of righteousness through grace. And so Paul, uh, in examining the possibility of loopholes, that are being formed in the minds of his readers goes right into a very strong set of three rhetorical questions with one exclamation point. First question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And see, that goes right back to what I discussed just a few minutes ago of our tendency to take the $100 handshake for our sin by, by claiming the reality of God's willingness to just keep giving this commodity of grace toward forgiveness. Paul says, what shall we say then? That's the first question. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the, he, and Paul uses it a few times in his letters, but this answer with an exclamation point is the strongest negation available in the Greek language. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The Greek is meganoita. And if I, could, if I could translate it properly, please pardon my French. I'm going to mix it with a sports metaphor. H-E double hockey sticks, no. O-H-E double hockey sticks, no. Uh, in your English translation, you'll see either by no means or absolutely not or what you thinking? Uh, I haven't seen that translation actually. Paul says, by no means, absolutely not. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Hey, we can show off the grace of God by continuing to sin so he can cover it all up and express himself in glory. Uh, that's a dangerous proposition, followers of Christ. By no means, we are those who have died to sin. And here's the final question in a rhetorical sense. How can we live in it any longer? The, the expected answer is we can't. We won't. We don't. So this little package of Romans 6, 1 and 2 is the answer to our tendency to use grace as a commodity to continue 
to cover our willful sin. We are those who have died to sin. And you see that in your baptism. You see the picture of, and Paul actually goes on in Romans 6. I'd be glad if you read it for yourself. He says that that our baptism is the picture of us dying to ourselves, being now in Christ as we are submerged. We died with Jesus in the likeness of his death. And then as we we raise up and we break the surface of the water again and come out into the air, uh, we are raised to walk in new life. So those of us who are raised to walk in new life have absolutely no reason to presume or disgrace the grace of God. But I want to take it a step further. Uh, This is probably a text that you haven't considered very often because you might be under some teaching continually. And the more progressive, quote unquote, I would say regressive, the more regressive the church gets in her theology in the West, uh, the more we use words like grace to cover up things that aren't even called sin anymore. I mean, this is just who we are. This is how we're made. But this is one of our problems when we keep using grace to describe a thing. We use grace to describe a thing. And we say, we're thankful for God's grace. We're thankful that God's grace has uh, there, but for the grace of God go I. Uh, Grace is not, in reality, a thing. Which may be, I mean, this might be something that's difficult for you to to process, but I, I hope you'll try. And I'm going to show you a text here as we close. Titus chapter 2, where the grace of God is actually identified as a person. And Paul is writing this letter, Titus, to Titus, who's the pastor of this young church on the island of Crete. And he's speaking very pastorally. This is how Titus is to shepherd the flock. Uh, These are things that the flock needs to know from Titus's platform as God's spokesperson. And he just got finished uh, in the previous portion of the second chapter talking about how how men and women are to conduct themselves and then here here's what we call an exegetical uh expansion of of the why so so paul says the what this is how you should behave and then paul goes into the the why verse 11 and i want you to see if you can identify the person that is grace for the grace of god has appeared that offers salvation to all people teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, have you ever read this and understood that grace is actually a teacher? Grace is not a commodity. Grace is not a $100 handshake. Grace is a teacher. Grace as a teacher teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is righteous living. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, and here's that word again, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, what I'm going to do is I am going to bring verse 11 up against verse 14 and tell me if you can identify the person of grace. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good.
Grace, ladies and gentlemen, followers of Jesus Christ, grace is the gift, the person of Jesus Christ. And when I abuse or disgrace grace, I'm actually trampling his blood underfoot. That's Hebrews chapter 10, spoken of all those who decide they're going to continue in sin. So therefore, I'm asking you by the mercies of God, by the grace of, his, of God, his son, to discontinue your abuse, your disgrace of grace for your own benefit and for the glory of the one who gifted you with this grace. Signing off for the Pinocchio Project. Until next time, Mitch Friedman. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.